And now here's Andrew Hudson to continue our Acts series. So let's give it up for Andrew. Thanks, Jake. Thanks. Thanks. Good morning. Happy Memorial Weekend, right? Um, well, let's go ahead and let's just start off by praying really quick this morning. I know we've already experiencing God's presence, but let's just ask him to speak to us as we look at his word. So Lord, we just thank you for this time to be with you. We don't want to take that for granted. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would stretch us, Lord, this morning. Would you be with your people in the name of Jesus? Amen. Amen. So the other day, I was um, getting ready to go run some errands with my youngest son, who's just about ready to turn three years old. His name's Aaron. And... uh, I overheard this conversation between my wife, Sarah, and him and, and uh, about how she's kind of explained to him what we're going to go do. And so she tells him, you know, we're going to go to the grocery store and you're going to go to the bank and just kind of go do some things with dad. And he thinks about it for a second and he says to my wife in that cute little three-year-old voice, I, I, I go to bank first. I want to go bank first. And why does every three-year-old want to go to the bank? They get suckers. That's right. They get suckers. He has absolutely no idea what goes on in a bank, but the fact that he gets suckers. So he's pretty determined. I want, I want that sucker. And my wife has explained to him, you know, it just doesn't really make sense. It makes a lot more sense to go to the grocery store first and, you know, so on and so on. And then she says this phrase. She says, you know, don't forget your daddy's in charge. Oh, and he just looked right up at her and he just stomped and went, I in charge. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it was cute. I just started laughing. I just started laughing. Um, And you can imagine there was a little bit of a loving, disciplining discussion with him that happened afterwards. Um, But, uh, you know, it's pretty typical of a three-year-old or almost three-year-old to uh, experience that behavior, to want to be in charge. And the truth is, though, I think we never really grow out of wanting to be in charge, out of wanting to be in control. We do get a little bit better at hiding it, and uh, doing it more discreetly, though. But the truth is, we all have trouble listening and obeying to authority at times. And this isn't, I'm sorry, and this is a problem with our whole society. We have, we have a problem, an anti-authority problem in our society. Whether it's kids with parents, like my own son. You know, students with teachers. I see that a lot during the school year. Uh, employees with bosses. Even sometimes church members with their pastors or they're small group leaders. And it's not a new problem in society. It's not just these young millennials who don't know how to take directions, take authority, but really it's been around almost all humanity. You know, it's really a problem of sin. If you think about it, the very first sin that ever happened was Adam and Eve, and what were they doing? They were going against God's authority. They were going, by eating the fruit that God told them not to eat from, They were basically saying to God, we want to be in charge. We want to do things our way. We feel like you're holding out on us. And that really led to all of our problems, didn't it? So how do we solve this problem of having an anti-authority attitude? Well, the answer, the answer is to learn to submit to God's authority. To learn what we were always meant to do. To learn to let our heavenly daddy be in charge. So we've been in this series in the book of Acts. And uh, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 5 today. So if you have a Bible or if you want to open up your phone app, 
We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 5. And there is, let me just tell you, there's a lot that happens in this chapter. It's a long chapter. It's got 42 verses in it. And there's no way we could cover it all and talk about every little caveat or every little thing that happens in it. In fact, you could spend weeks just on this chapter alone. We're going to do it in about 30 minutes. But, um, but when I was praying about this and thinking about what, you know, what God wanted to really draw out from this for us this morning, I just kept coming back to this over and over again. There seems to be this theme throughout the whole chapter that God's in charge, that God's in charge. And so we're going to see that God's in charge in this chapter, but we're also going to see three different ways that people choose to respond to that claim. Three different ways that people choose to respond to this idea that, to God's authority. And the very first way that we're going to see that somebody responds to it is in the story in this part about this couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And we're going to see that they push back against this idea. They push back against this idea and they, like my son, declare that I want to be in charge. That I'm in charge. And so as we look at the very first verse, we're going to start off in verse 1 and kind of tackle this part of the story. It says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. And a great fear seized all who had who heard what had happened, and then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Now at this point, I want to ask if there's any volunteers. We're going to reenact this. Anybody want to be Ananias? Yeah, I didn't think so. I didn't think so. Uh, no, um, but this is pretty harsh, right? I mean, this is pretty crazy, this story. We see this married couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they come up with this idea, this scheme, to basically look really good. They want to look good in front of the early church, by selling a piece of property they have, but they wanna, they're not willing to give it all up. They want to lie about how much they got paid for it. And I was reading, one commentator said, they were basically like con men embezzling God's money. I think that's pretty harsh. They appear to be very generous to everyone, but secretly they're keeping some of the money for themselves. And Peter, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, calls Ananias out on his deceptive scheme and God strikes him dead like that. If we keep reading, we get to find out what happens to his wife, which is nice and juicy too. So in verse 7, about three hours later, his wife comes in, not knowing what has happened. And Peter asked her, he said, Tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. That is the price. And Peter said to her, Liar, liar, pants on fire. No, no, he should have said that though. No, he said that. He, he said, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down and died. And then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out 
and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Wow. Now this is a happy, feel-good story, right? Now this seems really harsh, doesn't it? It seems really harsh. This doesn't seem like something a loving, gracious God would do. In fact, it's kind of ironic, but if you look up what the name Ananias means, it actually means the Lord is gracious. The Lord is gracious. And, and I find that quite interesting. But, but it, to put this in maybe today's perspective, you know, are you, is this saying that if I sold a car tomorrow and I didn't give all the money to the church, that every little cloud that passed over the sky, I should be looking out for lightning because God is looking out to get me, right? No, that's, that's not what this is saying at all. If we think that this is all that there is to the story, then we've really kind of missed the bigger picture. See, we have to remember, we have to remember that the early church was growing super rapidly, super rapidly. I mean, in a few weeks' time, they went from being over about just over 100 followers to now being over 5,000. That's, re- that's a fast-growing church. In fact, if you get a picture of a small church with just like limited resources, maybe you know, one or two staff members, not very much money, all of a sudden, in a couple of weeks, growing into like a mega church, could you imagine all the needs there would be of the people who were in that church in just a few weeks' time? And then another thing is that we got to recognize is that Michael didn't, Michael last week talked about Acts chapter 4, but he didn't have time to do the very end of it. And it, if you didn't get a chance to check it out, I would definitely get it on CD or something. It was excellent last week, but... But at the very end of chapter 4, we learn a little bit more backstory about what was happening in the community at that time. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, in verse 34, it says this. It says, There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. It even goes on to say that there was a man named Barnabas who sells a piece of property and ends up giving all the money to the church community. So there's this precedence kind of in this extreme time, in this extreme time of need for the wealthy people in the community to really be extravagantly generous. But if you notice in that verse, it says from time to time. This was not the expectation for everyone in the church at all times. But still, that doesn't answer the question, why does, why does God bring judgment on Ananias and Sapphira? Was it only because they lied? No. It was because they were unrepentant. See, God gives Sapphira a second chance. He gives her a chance to come clean. When Peter asks her, is this really the true amount that you were paid? She has a chance to tell the truth. She has a chance to be honest and repent. And she doesn't take it. But why does God bring his judgment so immediately? Well, a few weeks even further back, I think it was about a month or so ago, Michael was talking about Acts chapter 2. And he, was, he said this phrase, and I, I remember it very clearly. He said, it was one of his thought, things on the bulletin or on the handout. It said, God is speaking in all caps. God is speaking in all caps. His presence at this time in history is so strong. His holiness is so strong. He is purifying the church. He is shining light into the darkness. 
he is demonstrating that he's in charge, that he has ultimate authority. And really, this isn't a, really a battle between Peter and Ananias and Sapphira. This is actually really a battle between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. Because it was Satan who was lying to, Peter, or to Ananias and Sapphira. And God is setting a healthy tone of fear, a healthy amount of fear, among this very early fragile church. And he's saying in big letters that he's in charge. You know, when we live in a place where we're living and we're saying, I'm in charge, then we tend to focus on building our own kingdom up, don't we? We tend to, to, when we're making decisions and thinking about things, we tend to ask the question, well, what's in it for me? How's this going to benefit me? But in Acts 5, we see that God's on a mission to spread his kingdom. And he will not be mocked, and he will not be duped, and he will not be manipulated. And I wonder if we're honest, if we're honest, are there areas in our lives that we're acting as if we're living as the ultimate authority? You know, maybe it's in your finances or your relationships or at work. You know, are we always making those decisions based on how will this financial move benefit me? How will this friendship or this promotion build up my kingdom? We'll see that in Peter and the apostles, that God's goal is not for a, that God's goal is actually for us to let him be in charge. That we are called to learn to submit to his plans and his purposes. So just to kind of summarize, the first way that we can respond to God's authority in this life is to oppose it. It's to push back and say, nope, I want to be in charge. But the second way, the second way in Peter and the apostles is we see the opposite. We see that we have the opportunity to embrace it and accept it, that God is in charge. And so we're going to see in the next section of this chapter, in verses 12 through 32, we're going to see that exact point. So as we kind of pick up the story, we'll see that Peter and the apostles are continuing to preach the gospel and they're healing people every day in the open area of the temple courts. And the presence of God is so strong that Peter doesn't even have to speak or touch people for them to get healed. They just get in his shadow. Could you imagine that, like how, what a great ministry that would be? If you could heal people with your shadow. No, I don't, I don't even need to say anything. I don't even need to touch it. Just stand right there. Just stand right there. That's pretty powerful that God was so strong, so much available at that time. But we learned last week that the high priests and the Jewish leaders, they had already warned them already warned them against preaching about Jesus and healing in chapter 4, but, but they weren't listening. So they have them arrested. They put them in prison. And at night while they're in prison, this is what happens. We're going to read in verse 19 and through 21. It says, During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them, meaning Peter and the apostles, out. Go and stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. And at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. Now, I imagine, you know, imagine being Peter and the apostles. You've just been arrested. You're awaiting your fate the next morning, and then supernaturally, you're rescued from prison. How relieved you would be. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for saving us. But wait, wait, you want us to do what? You... You want us to go back and do the exact same thing that just got us arrested? I don't, I, don't, I don't want to tell you how to do your job, God, but I think we should probably lie low for a while, right? 
know, maybe we should get some of those little <laughs> disguised mustaches that you stick on, right? Or some fake glasses. We can go undercover and keep doing this. But no, God is saying, no, I'm in charge and I'm gonna keep doing what I, what I want you to do. I want you to continue to do what I've told you to do. And you know what the craziest thing is? They actually do it. They actually go back and they keep preaching and healing people the very next morning. They are completely submitted to God's authority and his plan. So the next morning, these Jewish leaders, they wake up, they go to the prison. There's nobody there. They're absolutely shocked. Where did they go? And somebody goes, oh, those guys you arrested yesterday? Yeah, they're, they're right back where you left them. Or they're right back where you arrested them the first point. They're still just preaching and healing people. So they go and they grab them, and the high priest says to Peter and the apostles, this is what he says in verse 28 and 29. He says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, meaning Jesus, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teachings, and you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And look how they respond. Look what Peter says. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. That is a great verse to underline in your Bible. That's a great verse to meditate on and think about. What does that really mean? Peter is saying that we're, we're not stupid. Like, we heard you the first time. Don't go preach and don't go here. We heard you. We heard you the second time. But we got to obey God. We're going to do it anyways. Peter is declaring truth here. He's declaring that God is in control. Not you, you Jewish leaders. Not me, Peter. Not us. When Peter says we must obey God rather than human beings or people, it's basically implying that we first must be able to hear or listen and then obey. Just like Peter, who first heard and listened to the angel of the Lord and, went, and was then obedient. God's ways are much higher than our ways. Sometimes God's plans don't always make sense right away, but they always end up being the best. We have to be actively listening for God in our lives if we want to know what God wants us to do. And then we have to be faithful to obey and act. You know, I first read this and I thought, oh God, I am not very good at this. I wonder, I wonder how well are you at this? You know, in our day-to-day lives, are we really first listening to God and then faithful to obey? And if not, who are we listening to? Who are we obeying? Who's truly in charge of our lives? Is it ourselves, like Ananias and Sapphira, who really were being tricked by the enemy to think that they had control, that they were in charge? Is it a boss? Is it a peer? Is it someone you look up to? Basically, is it anyone other than God? When I was um, about 14 years old, I got to go whitewater rafting for the very first time. And I know this may be shocking, but I was actually very skinny, you know. And, uh, but I also happened to be really, really short. I was really just very, a small guy. And all the other guys I went with were much bigger than me, um, much bigger in size. And I had never been before. And if you've never been whitewater rafting, usually you go, if you usually go with a guide. There's usually somebody who's very experienced that goes with you. Um, and I remember the guide took one look at me and he found out I had never been whitewater rafting before. And he said, I got the perfect spot for you. I want you to go sit up in the front. All right, sounds good. Okay, I got a friend. Gave me a paddle, told me to sit in the front. So I'm sitting in the front right, and we're kind of getting ready to go. And, you know, the water isn't very rough yet at the beginning. We're just kind of coasting down the water. And I start to think, holy cow, I'm going to be like in charge. Like I'm in the front of the boat. 
Like, I, I'm going to be the first one to see rocks, the first one to see rapids. I'm going to shout out commands like, hey, we got to go left here, go left, go left, go right, you know, speed up, slow down. I'm going to be directing everything. It took me about five minutes to figure out I was way wrong. If you've ever been whitewater rafting, you have almost no control in the front of the raft. Almost no control. Um, and you almost have no voice. Nobody can hear you from the front. In fact, you know who, who has all the control? It's the guide. The guide sits right in the back middle of the raft. And almost with ease, without hardly any effort, can use his or her paddle like a rudder. And totally, just by angling it slightly different, change the direction of the raft. Almost without anybody else's help. And when the, when the guide shouts out commands, they don't even hardly have to shout out. He can just speak, speak loudly and speak clearly because his voice carries to the front of the raft. When I would shout out things, nobody was in front of me. You couldn't hear me over the water. My voice went forward and everybody else was back. But you could hear his commands with super ease. And I wonder, I wonder, are we trying to be in charge of our lives from the front of the raft too much? Or are we like Peter and the apostles? Or we're letting God's authority and Holy Spirit be our guide? See, accepting Christ as our Savior does mean receiving the free gift of salvation. Absolutely. But it also means letting God be in control. Not just continuing to live our lives the same way we always have. So this second way, the second way we see that we can respond to God's authority is to embrace it, to accept it. That God has always intended for us to let him be in charge and then be obedient. But there's a third way. There's a third final way we see in in this chapter. And that's with this man named Gamaliel. That's quite a name, isn't it? Gamaliel. You don't hear too many people naming their children that anymore. Gamaliel, we're going to find out, is going to say that God, yes, you are in charge, God, but. And he hesitates. God is in charge, but. And so when we meet Gamaliel, it's at the same time when Peter and the apostles are being questioned by the leaders. And Peter, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, makes that offensive statement where he says, we're not going to listen to you, we're going to listen to God. And when all the other leaders want to execute them and put them to death, Gamaliel speaks up. He speaks up. And from outside sources, we know that Gamaliel was probably one of the most well-respected Jewish rabbis of the day. That he, when he said what he said, held lots of weight. And later on in Acts 22, verse 3, Paul, who becomes a great leader in the early church, Paul tells us that he was actually trained under Gamaliel before he became a Christian, before he became a follower of Jesus. And he says it in a way to say, he knows his audience knows that that man, Gamaliel, was a man of influence, a man of importance. He's almost like using it to kind of like show his status. So I imagine that when Gamaliel spoke, the commotion in the room died way down. You could hear a pin drop. And you know what Gamaliel says? He reminds them that, he reminds these leaders that recently two other troublemakers had gathered groups of followers together. But once those leaders were defeated, their followers scattered all on their own. And so Gamaliel gives this advice. In verse 38, he says, Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. 
For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will find yourselves fighting against God. And his speech persuaded them, and they called the apostles in, and they had them flogged. They had them beaten. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. See, Gamaliel, he gets something right here. He actually does get something right. He recognizes that God's plan will not be stopped by anything or anyone at any time. The Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, he's uh, speaking to the Israelite people and God is speaking through them. And so this is God's voice speaking. But in verse 10 of chapter 46, he says this. God says this through Isaiah. I make known, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient time, what is still to come. And I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. See, in the history of the world, when someone or something steps up to try to challenge God's authority, to try to challenge God's plan, um, God is not out of control. He is still in control. He, God was still in charge when the Cold War broke out and people were afraid that we were going to have nuclear fallout. God was still... In charge when Hitler rose to power and threatened the whole globe. And God was still in charge. And God was still in charge when Roman and Jewish leaders arrested his own son and hung him on a cross. God is still in charge. We don't have to live in a way where we're afraid. Afraid of men. Afraid of leaders. God is in control and his kingdom and authority cannot be stopped. We don't have to live in fear that in the end God might lose. He's already won. We can live in hope. We can take risks. We can listen for God. And we can step out in obedience. Gamaliel knows God's in charge, but he wants to sit on the sidelines and wait it out. He wants to see how it plays out. He is unwilling to join in with Peter and the apostles. He's unwilling to follow Jesus. And we don't know for sure if Gamaliel ever did recognize that Jesus was God, that Jesus was the Savior, that Jesus was in charge. We don't know that for sure or not, but I kind of speculate that he never did. And this is why. If a man like him, with his leadership and his ability and his status, became a Christian, I think that would have been a big deal. That would have been a big deal in the early church. I think we would have heard about it. I think he would have naturally become a leader in the, in the early church. And Paul and him, knowing each other and having history together, you, I'm sure we would have heard Paul talking about him more and you know, them working along side by side for the kingdom of God. And you know what? We don't really hear about him ever again. He kind of just disappears. But you know who we do hear about? We hear about Peter and the apostles a whole lot. They go on to be some of the most influential people of all of history. All because they not only knew God was in charge, but they were willing to be obedient and follow his plans and his purposes. So this third way that we can respond to God's authority is to say, okay, God, you're in charge, but, and we hang back and we hold back. But there's one last point that I want to make. What does this all mean? What does this all mean? What it means is that God desires to be in charge of all parts of our lives. Of all parts of our lives. See, There are two types of Christians. There are fruit salad Christians and there are fruit smoothie Christians. Now I know that's weird, so hang with me. Let me explain what I mean by that, okay?
okay? Fruit salad Christians and fruit smoothie Christians. So a fruit salad Christian is like a fruit salad where you have all different types of fruit mixed in, okay? And each type of fruit represents a different category or part of your life. So maybe, you know, pineapples, they represent your work life. They can be a little sour sometimes. You know, a watermelon, that might be your married life. Blueberries might be your leisure or hobby life. Raspberries, that's your spiritual life with God. So fruit salad Christians, they compartmentalize who has authority in each category of life. So at work, you know, at work, my boss has all the authority. You know, sometimes my boss asks me to do some things that are a little bit, I don't know if I'm okay with that. It's a little unethical, but you know, he's in charge or she's in charge and I just, I got to do what they say. And the pay's too good, so I'm not going to look for another job. So, so, so I'm just going to do what they, what they tell me to. And then in your leisure life, you know, gosh darn it, I work hard all day. And at the end of the day, I just want to do what I want to do. I just want to binge watch a whole season of Scandal. I just don't, you know. And I know it's probably stuff I shouldn't be filling my mind with. And I know that uh, I can't ever seem to find time to read my Bible. But I just don't care. Because I'm in charge of that time. That's my time. Or my friendship life. You know, I really just want to spend time with people that make me feel good. That are just like me. You know that one person who wanted to get together for coffee because they're going through kind of a hard time? Yeah, but I just got a better offer from my best friend. I'll just, I'll just tell them I, I can't get together with them, you know, for like a month or two or never. You know, and they're kind of odd anyways. So it's just better off. Or our marriage life. You know, gosh darn it, God, I'm in charge of my marriage and, you know, I'm just not really happy with how things are going with my marriage right now. And um, I just don't really, we're just not the same people we used to be. And I just don't really want to be married to them anymore. And I don't have any biblical grounds for divorce, but I'm just, I just don't care. I'm just going to do it anyways. But you know what, God, in my spiritual life, you can be in charge of that, God. I just love coming to church for like an hour and a half a week and just worshiping you. And, you know, I just love to hear that speaker up there just tell me how much you love me, God. That's just, yeah, you can have authority in that part of my life. That's a fruit salad Christian. But then there are fruit smoothie Christians. There are fruit smoothie Christians. A fruit smoothie Christian has all the same compartments of life. But you know what happens? The Holy Spirit comes along. Starts to blend them all together. He starts to blend them all together. And now all of a sudden, God becomes in charge of every single part of your life. And those spiritual life raspberries... They aren't just isolated on their own for Sunday mornings. Instead, they're in every single sip. And those silly little seeds get stuck in your teeth every single time you put your mouth to take a drink. And we start to ask ourselves and we start to to live and think about life through God's filter. And we start to say, well, what does God say about this? And what does God want me to do here? And all of a sudden, he becomes the ultimate authority. He becomes the ultimate authority in your work life, in your married life, in your single life in your leisure life, in your friendship life, in your parenting life, in your sex life, in your retired life, in your financial life, in your food life, in your exercise life, in your night life. And we begin to be like Peter and the apostles and we care more about what God says than what our peers say or what a boss says or society says or what we ourselves say. And when we read that Peter spoke up, that he spoke up and he declared that we must obey God, not people, I immediately think to myself, I cannot do that. I 
can't do that. I will fail. I am failing at that. I'm failing at that every day. But the truth is, the reality is to accept that you're right. I can't do it on my own. Neither did Peter. Peter didn't step up and say that on his own, on his own effort. It was because the Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit was in the process of blending him together, turning him into a fruit smoothie Christian. I don't think they drank those back then, but they were tra- he was in the process of being transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. Jesus, the one who also said that he could do nothing and he could only do what the Father was doing, that God had all authority in his life too. So here's God's promise. You know, as we learn to let God have more authority in our lives, Let's see what happens at the very end of the book and, or of this chapter in verse 41 and 42. It says that the apostles left the Sanhedrin, this Jewish council. And how did they leave? They left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Peter and the apostles, they rejoiced. They were filled with joy. What should they have been filled with? Fear, anxiety, worry. They barely got out, you know, by the skin of their teeth. You know, that didn't make any sense. But what's the phrase? Skin of your, whatever, yeah, skin of your teeth. They barely got out alive. But yet, they were filled with joy. They celebrated it still cost them something. It still cost them something. They were still beaten for following God. And guess what? It will cost us something too. We get wet in the front of the raft of life. You're going to get wet. You're going to be uncomfortable at times. You're going to have trouble sometimes. That is going to happen though no matter what. If God's in charge or not. But if we let God be in charge, we also get joy. We also get filled with joy. We also get filled with the Spirit. Let's go ahead and stand up here for a second. That's what I want to do for ministry time. I really, I want to invite some of you up forward to get prayer today. See, the truth is, is that we all respond to God's authority in these three different ways at different times, isn't it? You know, at times, I know I'm like Ananias and Sapphira, trying to be in charge trying to make sure things benefit me and looking, up, looking out to build up my kingdom. And maybe this morning there's something, some particular area in your life that you know God is inviting you. He's inviting you to say, stop trying to control blank and let him be in charge of that part of your life. At times, at times we're like Peter and the apostles and we're striving to live like God is in charge. But you know, God is asking you to do something hard that might cost you something. Maybe you're, maybe you're facing some, something really difficult right now. Maybe you're facing some trouble. Maybe something seems completely out of your ability to do, but you want to be faithful like Peter. I want to invite you to come get prayer. To be filled up with the Holy Spirit, with courage, with boldness, with gifting, with ability. At times we're like Gamaliel, and we know God is in charge, but we hesitate. We hold back from joining in. Are there areas of our lives today that we're holding back from God and God is saying, come on, it's okay. Just give it to me. See, Proverbs 3.12 says, 
the Lord disciplines those he loves. Just as a father disciplines a son or a daughter in whom he delights. Do you know God loves you? Do you know he delights in you? Do you simply want to say, God, you know, there's nothing specific today, but I just want, I want to be more of a fruit smoothie Christian. I want that. Are you sensing God blending you together this morning? And are you desiring to be filled more with life, more with joy? You can start coming forward now for prayer, but I also feel, felt like, you know, God's in control of our health too, isn't he? And um, I felt like this morning when I woke up that there are people, maybe there's some people here, that you just get a lot, of, you have a chronic pain in your muscles. Chronic pain in your muscles. I wanna, I wanna encourage you, if that's you, to come forward and get prayer for that. And, uh, and I also felt like um, ears, that, God, that maybe you've been given some, some news recently that your hearing is gonna go downhill real fast. That it's deteriorating very quickly and we wanna pray against that. We wanna pray for healing for that. So I wanna invite you guys to come forward. If, if any of that applies to you, where Pam and Galen are gonna lead us in worship. If you just want more of God, if you just wanna give more of your life to him, come forward and, and somebody will encourage you and pray for you. other things that I felt like the Lord was saying um, really got a strong sense that there are people who are struggling with anxiety and depression um, that's you kind of feel like that's held you out from doing the things that the Lord has called you to do I think uh, God wants to heal you of anxiety and depression this morning um, and also I feel like there's people who are struggling to hear the voice of God when Andrew was talking about how uh, the, the apostles were able to follow because they heard him first. I think the Lord wants to speak really clearly to some people this morning and give them direction. So why don't you come on forward? Let's sing the song, Good, Good Father, in response to this. And we're going to need prayers, too. We need a lot more prayers up here.
getting prayer continue to just receive from the Lord what he has for you but you know just to encourage those of us who are in our seats you know we might not feel super strongly that there's anything specific that we need prayer for right now and that's okay but I want to remind us that the enemy sometimes likes to blind us of the areas that we are that we are in need of that God that we need God in he likes to keep us in bondage and slaves to that so, so let me leave you with this. What if we said, what if we said that we would set aside a few minutes of each day this week to humbly ask God to show us just one area, one area of our life that we're not submitting to his authority. And we listen, we listen for his voice. And then we ask the Holy Spirit to show us and to empower us and to tell us what to do about that, how to step out in faith about that. What might happen? What might happen? Might we experience more of God? Might we experience more joy, more life? Might we live and experience more of his kingdom? We just might, we just might. So let me, let me pray, let me pray for us and then we'll send us off. So Lord, I just, like my son Aaron, is learning to let his daddy be in charge. We wanna let you, Father, be our heavenly daddy and be in charge. Will you gently, gently, so kindly and gently show us the areas in our life that we are trying to manipulate, that we're trying to force, that we're trying to control. Would you blend us together? Might we all become more fruit smoothie Christians? Would you be with us? Would you guide us? Would you protect us? Would you teach us how to follow you? Just pray that in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. If you're still getting prayer up front, keep continuing to do that. If not, bless you guys. Have a great Memorial weekend. If you're visiting, feel free to stop by. The visitors welcome. I and a lot of the other pastors would love to meet you. Bless you guys. Have a great weekend.